Welcome to the J Crypto Audio Experience. First off, thanks for coming. Second off, I want to congratulate you for investing in the education of blockchain, cryptocurrency, NFTs, decentralized finance, all those terms that when you first hear you go, what the hell does that mean? Blockchain is a technology shift, guys. Once in a lifetime opportunity. This is Malibu beachfront property, $1,000 per the acre. Now, to take advantage of it properly, you got to invest in that education. And that's what you're here for. That's what I'm here for. So let's learn together. All right, G Crypto here, guys, once again. And in today's podcast, which I'll also be sharing on my YouTube, I want to go over part three. And I've been doing a lot of research. I've been doing a lot of thinking. And my channel is interesting. I'm not a financial advisor. Everything that I say is for entertainment purposes only. But I'm still kind of finding my lane. The truth is, guys, I started this channel because I got bit by the crypto bug. And I've been interested in blockchain for quite a while. In fact, I had a blockchain book as far back as around 2016, 2017 that I was reading. And it's it's very interesting how my journey has evolved. But more interestingly is how blockchain and crypto has evolved. In the past two podcast episodes, my YouTube it may show up a little different, but I've given you guys three of my top predictions for blockchain and crypto. No, I'm not talking about price. I'm talking about macro predictions. My first prediction was that B Power and uh, B Earned Off First of all, I am predicting it's going to succeed, but the the main girth, the 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 meat of that podcast was to illustrate a type of NFT I think will be highly successful. Not only highly successful, but I also believe it will be a trend that will engulf the DeFi world. And the trend is uh, a two-part trend. One is the DeFi projects to succeed will cultivate an entire ecosystem of decentralized financial tools. That's what Beer.fi does very well. And they're still build, building it out. I mean, an NFT marketplace. I mean, a algorithmic stablecoin. I mean, a decentralized exchange. I mean, a lending protocol. I mean... You know, a launch pad, all these different decentralized financial tools, the real ecosystems that will win, I believe, will be the ones that can create an entire ecosystem of these things. And then the second part to the trend was these NFTs that will en- enable profit sharing for the entire ecosystem along with additional rewards and benefits. The second episode was actually an evolution of that where I went over how businesses will adopt this new these trends and create tokenomics and it will scale all the way to local coffee shops and it's a very interesting episode so if you didn't check that one out make sure that you go look at the last two however in this one i wanted to talk about bitcoin i wanted to talk about you know macro trends of where things will be is it too early to invest in certain things is it too late to invest in certain things beer.fi though i am very bullish on it I think it's an incredibly early thing to invest in. I really do. And the reason why is because it's a decentralized application. So I'm going to go through the gamut today and give you guys everything you need to know. And um, 
yeah, there'll be a couple times where I'll want to thank my sponsors and whatnot, but let's get right into it. So first off, let's go with the daddy of cryptos, which would be Bitcoin. And when we talk about Bitcoin, I like to label it as a store of value. Now, it's interesting because to understand Bitcoin, you have to understand money. I've always said this and other people have always said this. Once you understand money, you understand the difference between a store of value and a stable coin or the US dollar. Now, a store of value is supposed to be something that even if the value of the dollar gets an uh, inflationary effect, the store of value should perform well against that. And for a store of value to be successful, it needs certain you know, properties. For example, scarcity. And the reason why is because when something is scarce and there's demand for it, it's going to hold its value. The dollar, the US dollar, if you understand the US dollar, you know that the government can print more money, which increases the supply, thus decreasing the demand and actually decreasing the value. So if you just hold your dollars in a bank, the government has constantly been increasing the supply of money. And chances are that your money is actually lost value when you compare it to assets. Not so much consumer goods, though that's happening too, but assets and commodities. Okay, over time, if you had a million dollars 20 years ago, that was a lot, you know, hey, look, a million dollars 20 years ago meant a lot more than a million dollars means today, especially with housing prices going astronomically high. And the reason why I'm explaining this is because Bitcoin you know, being competing to be the major store value. I think at this point in time, I'm predicting it's going to be untouchable. I think Bitcoin would be one of the safer things to invest in if you were going to invest in crypto. The reason why is because it's a long term play. It's not something that uh, people make a lot of money trading Bitcoin. This is true, but people lose a lot of money trading Bitcoin. If you're a teenager and you're thinking, oh, I'm going to be rich, I'm going to get into Bitcoin at 20,000 and I'm going to hold it for a year, I'm going to make $60,000, you know, my suggestion to you would to be to recognize how young you are and to recognize that, you know, if you invest in Bitcoin at 20,000, it might go all the way to 3,000 like it did. And then it might shoot all the way to 80,000 in three or four years like it, like it, you know, is kind of doing right now. But it might also drop back down to 30,000, which is doing right now. And I think Bitcoin, what people need to think about when they think about Bitcoin is a long term place to store your value today. So if you have value today and you want to store it in a place that is going to be safe, and I mean like rock solid safe, and you're storing your value there. This doesn't mean that you need it to live. This means that this is some value that you have extra that you just want to put somewhere that will, you know, store the integrity of the value. I believe Bitcoin is the best place to do that. The reason why is because things are trending digitally. I don't think people younger than me and I'm like 24, 23, somewhere around there. I don't think people younger than me are going to respect gold the same way as people older than me have respected gold. And I'm not saying I don't respect gold. I just think it comes far less intuitive 
to the younger generations. When we've been able to transact digitally pretty much my my whole life, I kind of am in an interesting generation because I'm at the very beginning of Generation Z. Since I was late 90s and I grew up with the iPhones, I really did see the transition shift from, you know, all these companies getting disrupted by tech from all these all these places kind of i guess you could even say i mean some place some places and this isn't a knock on the older generation because i think the smart the smart money and the people who are smart in the older generation actually took advantage of these technology shifts and maybe created even more wealth for themselves but i did notice that there was a huge knock on a lot of different technologies that were coming out from maybe the older generations or just people in general when I was younger you know people would demonize the technologies they would blame it for all these different problems in society all these human problems and there's there's this kind of debate going on where if technology actually made things worse or if it actually just exposed the things that we've been doing for a while and there's probably some truth to every side of the coin in that but I'm a believer that it does more exposing of our human truths than actually creating more, you know, things that are harmful for us. I don't know what you guys think. However, I just wanted to throw that in there. It doesn't really matter, though, because the point is, I think Generation Z and and below, it will be more intuitive for them to have a place where you basically have a scarce, safe uh, type of monies, which is Bitcoin. And it has a limited supply that can't fluctuate. You can transport it by just using your cell phone, opposed to having something like gold, which I think the younger generation will see as, oh, okay, this is just uh, something to get on jewelry. This is something that obviously has some kind of value, but it's not really like Bitcoin because you can continue to mine gold. Whereas Bitcoin, there's only a limited supply that you can ever mine. And you can argue that gold, you know, has the same. But the difference is, you know how much Bitcoin there is in the world. You don't know how much gold there is. It's impossible for anybody to know how much gold is under the earth or how much gold is around the earth. And gold can be created since it's a mineral, whereas Bitcoin can't. So that's an interesting little, you know, certainty that protocol allows us to know and i think humans like certainty above uncertainty so that's why i think bitcoin as a store of value is going to be like undisruptible for a very long time um i don't really foresee another cryptocurrency competing with bitcoin in that realm and the reason why is because bitcoin has a very unique set of circumstances and Though there's been speculation as to who has created Bitcoin and was it the government? Was it someone named Satoshi Nakamoto, like the white paper says? Was it was it some guy that has already said that he is Satoshi Nakamoto? And that could be found out. Maybe there's some proof out there that somebody will be like, hey, there's proof that this guy was the founder of Bitcoin, which could probably it might hurt the integrity of Bitcoin. However, I don't think people really will care long term. And the reason why is because the the way that Bitcoin is set up, if the person that created Bitcoin outs himself, I mean, the only thing that it will do is it will make that person incredibly famous. 
I don't think it will really hurt the actual you know, protocol. In fact, I know it won't. And it's impossible for that person to change the protocol um, from my understanding and pretty much everyone else's understanding. So from that sense, it's very undisruptible. Will there be other useful technologies in crypto? Well, that's what I like to cover in my channel. So yes, I do agree. But I don't think that any other cryptocurrency needs to have the exact same framework as Bitcoin to be successful. I just think for a store of value, it's really stupid for other cryptos to compete with Bitcoin. I really do think that. I don't think that I would ever prefer another crypto besides Bitcoin for store of value. But, you know, you just never know. And I could be wrong and things can change. So that's my prediction for Bitcoin. Now, let's move on to some other industries in crypto. So I'm going to name off a few. And if you don't know what these are, I'm going to definitely give you guys some, um, you know, feedback. So the other industry I would call it is NFTs, right? So non-fungible tokens. Now, I think NFTs are going to be the most disruptive technology that we have ever seen. And the reason why is because an NFT, in my mind, is part of decentralized finance, but it allows for certain things that I really do think is going to rock our world. The existence of binding contracts on the blockchain, it will disrupt a lot of different job networks and frameworks. It will disrupt governments. It will disrupt, you know, your local uh, registry of deeds because if we can record things on the blockchain then we and, and we can go back and look and see who owned the property and and have a very you know systemized way to, to do that then we're not going to need you know a lot of stuff that we currently have um, if we can record surveys and put you know maps and pictures and all these different things on the blockchain then it's going to be undeniable proof so the housing industry you know, it's something I really do think is already being disrupted by the blockchain. I think that fractional fractional real estate through the NFT tokens um, is something that will definitely disrupt, you know, uh, blockchain in general, or I mean, disrupt real estate in general, but also give people a means to participating in private real estate deals at scale. Um, collectible markets on the NFT, you know, blockchain it's already happening we see it with nba top shots which are very high profile highlights of the top athletes in the nba selling for hundreds of thousands of dollars sometimes um would i suggest investing into nfts i would not and the reason why is because i believe an nft is something that's still kind of formulating I think that we could equate the NFT to one of the first computers. Now, I know this is contradictory to some of my videos where I talk about investing in an NFT. And the NFT that I talk about is something that actually gives you passive income and rewards and all these different things called B-Power. And that that's different. I just mean, if you're just looking for a platform that's making NFTs, if you're looking to be an investor in the Amazon or the Apple of NFTs, I think it's way too early to tell. And I think NFTs are too dynamic and functional for us to limit the um, 
potential. So someone may sell sports card NFTs, but someone else may sell real estate like binding contract NFTs, and those are completely different. And unless you know a big tech giant creates a hub for all types of NFTs and complies with all governments because certain NFTs, I would presume you will need to align with the government, for example, the real estate industry because of taxes and because of ownership rights and all these different things that go into it and tenants. I think that there's a lot of compromise coming their way between governments and blockchain. However, um, it is trending this way. So I hope you guys take that with a grain of salt. I I do think that NFTs in general, we are only seeing a 1% of what NFTs will truly be able to do. We're seeing concerts, you know, having NFTs, but I don't know, guys. I think it's still early. We see metaverse swords that you can lend out and make some passive income on with NFTs. I still think it's it's very, very early. All right, so now I'm going to rattle off a few. We got centralized exchanges so that's like coinbase um finance i think that those centralized exchanges i don't know man it's very tough to tell i'm a big proponent of DeFi and decentralized exchanges but you need to have a gateway to DeFi, and everybody that has a gateway to DeFi uses something like coinbase or binance to get their crypto to their wallets so, yeah, I mean, Binance and Coinbase are probably the only two right now that I think have a very big monopoly or potential of having a monopoly on the space. I'm not really sold on other exchanges at the moment, but I'm still learning. And those are the two main two that I know about the most. So let's move on. Yield aggregators. Uh, okay, so <laughs> this one is complicated. Do you guys know what a yield aggregator is? A yield aggregator is something that will aggregate, meaning find all of the best yields in the entire blockchain that you're using. So if you're using something like Ethereum, there's lots of ways to make passive income. There's staking, there's liquidity pools, there's all this different stuff. A yield aggregator is like a site that you can go to that will give you the best rates for earning APY. And then you can deposit your tokens as if you were depositing it onto that native site. But instead of paying you out in that native site's coin, it'll auto compound your tokens for you. So that way you don't have to do anything. And now you're earning extra tokens that you're depositing. It's very complex. I think yield aggregators are very early and we should be very careful. Um, Some of the bigger ones is like Yearn V2, Auto Farm, Badger Dow, Bunny, and Convex. So... I don't know. I still think it's early. Uh, Dex aggregators. I love Dex aggregators. My favorites are like one inch, um, any swap. Uh, Dodo has a lot of value locked, but basically one inch is the main main one. So a Dex aggregator allows you to get the very best rates through wholesale transaction, meaning like larger transactions. And this is because it will aggregate the transaction throughout various, you know, decentralized exchanges for you to make sure that your slippage is the best, to make sure that you're getting the most tokens. Do I think it's early? Yes, I do. I think that DEX aggregators, though it's a simple concept, 
have a long way to go because as tokens get more complex and as we add more flexibility in smart contracts and as blockchains evolve, the functionality of tokens is going to be greater and greater. And therefore, the DEXs are going to have to be more adaptable as to which tokens they use. So I think we have a long ways to go for that. I think it's still very early. Decentralized exchanges, I think, will be so big, so, so big. And some of the main ones are Uniswap, PancakeSwap, QuickSwap. Um, I like BDEX personally which is um, you know, a decentralized exchange for BEARN.FI. I just think it has a clean interface. I think they got a great ecosystem already and it's early, so it's not as you know usable as some of the others, but I think it will be one of those DEXs that we look back and say, wow, that was a gem. Automatic market makers, again, similar to DEXs. This is a great place for arbitrage to happen with tokens and in a decentralized fashion. Um, AMMs is what they call them. And sim- sim- similarly, we also have PancakeSwap, Uniswap being in the automatic market maker. It's very similar to a decentralized exchange. In fact, most decentralized exchanges are automatic market maker. This means that you can automatically... Um, transact between liquidity that's provided by the users of the platform. So PancakeSwap, if you're exchanging Ethereum and Bitcoin, you're actually exchanging some liquidity that somebody else has probably provided for those two tokens. So what the protocol does is it gives those people who provided liquidity a little bit of juice, a little fee, a little here you go, here's something for you. Very interesting. Synthetic assets. So the biggest synthetic platforms are Synthetics, are Mstable, and then Uma. And I think Jarvis Network is something newer I see here on the list, but I have never even you know, used it or heard of it, so I'm not going to recommend it. But Synthetics has $1.1 billion locked. I think derivatives and synthetic assets are so big. This is like when you take... The price of Tesla and you use oracles to track the the real-time price of Tesla and you create a synthetic asset that's backed by collateral. So that way you you can create a synthetic asset that will track Tesla, it's backed by collateral, and you can actually trade it. So it's very complex, but it's one of the biggest markets in the entire world and it brings a derivatives market to basically everything. So you can create a synthetic asset that tracks the value of plywood. You can take a synthetic asset that tracks the value of a drink at stop and shop. So if it goes up 10 cents, if it goes down 10 cents or at whole foods or at, you know, a a coffee at Tim Hortons, right? And that gets really crazy. No one does stuff like that because it's just ridiculous to do, but it's possible. Um, Options. So options, again, another derivative type of market. I think it's one of the biggest market in the world. And you have for options, crypto type of deals. Um, you have Helmet, you have Open, you have Charm, you have Hedgic. So it's kind of, uh, you know, a big... So an options contract usually has about 100 contracts of any asset. You can do all these fancy formations like iron butterflies, iron condors, um, you know, 
uh, bull and credit spreads. If you're an option trader, this is probably making a lot of sense to you. If you're not, then don't worry about it. But you can short and you can long different assets. You can limit your risk. You can diversify your risk through all these options contracts. It's a very advanced type of trading. It's different from leverage and normal stock because you can actually create, you can buy two options at the same time and create a certain type of formation. So that way you're basically acting as a casino where the probability of the options contract you can control and manipulate. It's very mathematic. It's an interesting place. And I think a lot of people will be playing in options. But with crypto and with blockchain, since you can collateralize or back anything like on synthetics, you can basically create options for any type of measurable event. So you can, like we've seen in poly markets, you can create an options contract or something very similar where you can long and short, you can buy shares of it and you can sell before the expiration. You can buy more before the expiration of a basketball game of, will Elon Musk make 10 tweets today? Will he make four tweets today? And Based on how much risk you want to take on, you can, you know, buy longs or, or shorts of it of each type and do all these crazy different stuff. Asset management. I think asset management is another industry that's just like super early, guys. I don't really like this one's a little bit too much for me. Like I wouldn't invest in an asset management type of crypto. And the reason why is actually pretty simple. I don't know enough about asset management to go forward and choose an asset management platform. If you know a lot about asset management and you know a lot about blockchain and crypto, maybe you can like comment below some of your favorite topics, but I'm just going to name off the ones with the most users and the ones with the most locked value. So first off, we got Enzyme, which is on Ethereum, and that's got $85.3 million dollars of user deposits. Then we got index coop also on Ethereum, $31.6 million. And then we have token sets, which has 8.1 million. So I mean, again, all of these are just super low and user deposits, I wouldn't be a, you know, I might look back at this and say, damn, I wish I threw a couple bucks in each one. But I'm not going to do that because there's just too much stuff out there. Let's move on lending. So lending protocols, decentralized lending protocols, I think are going to have a very vast marketplace. I don't think we're going to see just one rise. I think we're going to see many. But I just I just think that some of the lending protocols we see now, we have a we have a couple we have a divergence, I think we're going to see either one of two things, as new blockchains with new features arise, we're going to see lending protocols that can do things that we can't even imagine yet therefore disrupting the current lending protocols we have. The other thing I think we'll see is we'll see a few like Aave or Compound or MakerDAO adapt to the new blockchains, to the new things that you can do with lending. And they're going to have so much momentum and the users are already going to believe in the teams that they're going to be just fine. That's my prediction on lending protocols. I'm a big believer in lending. Okay, then you have DAOs. Now, DAOs, I talked about in my last episode, so I'm not going to go over them. I do think that DAOs are going to be a huge, 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 huge uh, advancement in business and tech. You have Oracles, top two Oracles, Chainlink and Band. 
these are super, super necessary for DeFi, for blockchain in general, because all of these derivatives, all of these uh, synthetic assets, they require so much data. All the linking, all of the you know parachains and the relay chains, you just need so much data. And this data needs to come from oracles. You need this data from the real world. So data ultimately is the oxygen that supplies blockchain, in my opinion. So for cross-chain, you got a couple different things. You got, um, I think a lot of things will be, you know, cross-chain types of, you know, blockchain or, or marketplaces and whatnot. And I just think everything's trending that way. So the way I look at cross-chain is a project on Ethereum that's able to literally go cross-chain to polygon without having to create a brand new protocol and without having to create brand new assets so the assets the same it can just go either way i think that that is where things are trending and we are going to need to see major advancements for that to happen but i think it's possible guys i really do and uh the reason why is because we're already seeing it happen in a few different places so we'll keep keep tabs on that but insurance, so decentralized financial insurance, you know, you got cover, you got armor, you got Nexus Mutual as like the top three. I think poke cover is another one, but um, insurance is going to be so essential, guys, in DeFi and, you know, decentralized real estate and um, pretty much any type of transaction based blockchain deal in decentralized business and DAOs. With blockchain, you are using a lot of technology and though things are safe, there is already a lot of hacks whenever something new comes out because what tends to happen, guys, is when when something new comes out, you just don't know what the vulnerabilities are. And we've seen this on Binance Smart Chain. We've seen this with some of the new contracts that have been created you just don't know what's going to happen. So my prediction is that insurance will be a huge space. I I don't really understand it enough to be completely honest with you to explain it here and now. However, in the future, I will do an insurance podcast, a decentralized financial insurance podcast and go over a few different projects. But the way I see it is that by owning a certain amount of tokens, you're able to be covered, you own the asset, it's a much better deal than normal insurance. And it's just a matter of time before it disrupts the normal insurance frameworks. So we just got to kind of see but peer to peer insurance and peer to peer lending are here to stay. Then you have algorithmic stable coins. Now algorithmic stable coins, though they may be something that people say is, you know, very volatile and risky, which it is. I do think an algorithmic stablecoin has a place in DeFi. And the reason why is because I believe an algorithmic stablecoin will be something that we look back at and say, huh, that was more of a tool for the ecosystem than it was an ideology. So hopefully you guys can think about that, see what it means. Layer two solutions, you know. I think layer twos are going to be very important early on, but as upgrades happen and things evolve, we may see blockchains that 
kind of cure the scalability issues. However, at this point in time, Polygon, one of my favorite layer twos, Binance Smart Chain, another layer two. They're just, they're just, in my opinion, here to stay. I really do think that those those ones are here to stay. People are going to get used to using them. And the applications are going to be cross-chain. We're going to find different rates in different areas. We're going to have cross-chain yield aggregators that will be able to look at all the different chains and transport your money across the blockchains. And that's why the more ecosystems, the better, in my opinion, because you're going to be earning different rates and different cryptos. And I think overall it will be a good thing. Um, initial DEX offerings. So I think IDOs is still early. I think that this is a very competitive space. I wouldn't say that one IDO is better than another because it really comes down to what the ecosystem offers the project. I've studied a lot of IDOs and so far my favorite IDO project is still B Launch, which hasn't even come out yet because what they do is they have an ecosystem to back the project. So they're not reliant on the IDOs themselves. So that gives the ecosystem the ability to offer more to the project coming to the ecosystem. For example, a 20% fee on every of every token that's traded for the project. So if you have a project and you want to get an initial DEX offering, you do a private sale to get some funds, right? And then what they do is they'll farm your token onto that DEX. You give them the exclusive permission to do that at first. What happens then, guys is the um every single time that somebody deposits buys sells that project token they're gonna get like a 20 percent fee on that so i mean an incentive like that which is what b launch does is way better than a lot of the other ideos that i've seen where they only have you know a good user base and an ecosystem because in perpetuity if you can earn a passive income on every trade of the token that's an incredible revenue model for any business all right, guys. Well, I'm out of time here. I'm almost at 35 minutes, so I'm going to let you guys go. But thanks so much for tuning in. Um, the main thing I wanted to go over in this was that, guys, it's very early for a lot of these things. The reason why it's early is because very few things are disruptable. I mean, are non-disruptable. Some things I think are non-disruptable, at least for five years, five to 10 years. Bitcoin, Ethereum. Cardano. Okay. And I'm going to leave you guys on that. Thank you so much for watching or listening in. This is Jay Crypto. I appreciate it. I'll talk to you guys soon.